Hi, welcome to the 21st episode of the Customer Support Podcast. And this is your host, Sandeep Jain. In this podcast, we invite thought leaders from customer support function from both B2B and B2C companies so that you can learn about challenges, opportunities, and best practices around setting up a world-class support organization. I'm excited about today's podcast because uh, it's about B2B support and our guest is Adam Rapinski. And Adam happens to be my ex-colleague from Jennifer. Adam has over 20 years of experience in the enterprise sector in support and services leadership roles. Currently, Adam is Senior Director of Digital Experience and Automation at Juniper Networks. Now, if you folks don't know, uh, Juniper Networks is a public company based out of Sunnyvale, California, and they sell networking equipment. Adam is passionate about transforming the support delivery model into a modern data-centric self-service customer experience. We'll talk to him about that in the podcast. Um, and on a personal front, Adam is a tinkerer. He likes to experiment with uh, 3D printing, woodwork, model trains, and of course, spending time with his family and two dogs. With that, I'd like to extend a very warm welcome to my ex-colleague, Adam. Adam, Thank welcome. you very much. Happy to talk to you today. Great. Uh, so Adam, you have been in support throughout your, your professional career. You're one of my unique sort of guests in that regard. Uh, That's right. Can you tell us how support has changed, if it has changed over the years? Certainly. It, so it has changed dramatically. Uh, one of the things that I uh, kind of talk about when, I, when people ask me this question is, I remember back when, uh, right around this time of year, things would slow down and uh, we would, the calls would drop and the volume would drop. Uh, and nowadays it's the opposite. This time of year, we see a, a ramp up in the number of support cases and calls we get from customers. And it's aligned to where the industry is, right? Uh, when I first started 20 years ago, the, the electronic economy, the online economy was really in its infancy. And uh, you know, people would basically shut down networks and not and worry about the brick and mortar stores. <laughs> and, and right, and, and then they would have you know, we'd have no, no calls because they weren't making any changes in the network or they weren't paying attention. And now it's the opposite. The, the online experience is far more important than the brick and mortar. So they are paying attention to those networks. And if there are problems, they are calling us and they're escalating a lot sooner. This time of year has gotten very busy. That's one example. The other example is customers are expecting answers and solutions a lot faster. I mean, we used to have a lot more dialogue, a lot more time. There used to be less pressure on us. And I think, again, as a Tied back to the, to the changes in, in the in the industry and in the industries around us, uh, uh, the the network has become far more important. So the the urgency around issues seems to be a lot higher, and the expectations are, uh, uh, for a resolution is a lot more uh, a lot a lot more um, a lot higher as well. Right. So it's it's a definitely a different world. Uh, and the other the last thing I would say is the way customers want to consume services is very different than it was uh, 20 years ago. Um, customers were comfortable with a telephone call or a quick email. Nowadays, they want to use mobile apps and they want to interface with chatbots. Um, and much like we do in our consumer lives, uh, the B2B life uh, expectations are shifting into those sorts of support channels uh, as well. So it's, it's definitely a, a different world than it was 20 years ago. It's evolved very, very, very rapidly. Got it. We'll talk more about that a little sure. later in the podcast as well. Uh, but could you give a sense about who your customers are? Like, are these big enterprises? Are these small businesses somewhere in between? 
It's, it's across the board, right? So uh, those who have followed Juniper over the years know that Juniper started uh, serving and selling products to service providers. That was the bread and butter of the company. Uh, you know, so I, I always tell people, if, if you're on the internet and you're using Juniper equipment, you don't even know it because <laughs> uh, it's all sitting in the core of, the, of those, those big, big networks. But Juniper, of course, has, has expanded into the, the medium, large enterprises. We have a lot of government customers, which I can't talk about, obviously. I, if I did, have to, I'd have to uh, kill you afterwards. That's <laughs> what they tell me. Uh, but, you know, it's, it, 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 we really sell to everybody. I mean, we have products that, that span the gamut uh, that, um, uh, you know, every customer, every business customer could leverage our technology in some shape or form, be it uh, network routing, security, switching, wireless. You know, we have everything. Uh, so really, it's just about every business customer that can be a customer of Juniper's. And, and your customers are global, right? That's correct. Yeah, we have customers all around the world. Got it. And so with this sort of setup in mind, how is your uh, support uh, internally structured to help support these customers? Yeah, we, so we have prim a, a, a primary centers um, uh, we call primary TAC, which uh, you may, may remember when you were at Juniper. So that's our, essentially our level one TAC centers um, uh, in India and South America and, and a little bit in, in Europe. But those essentially are, they carry 80% of the load. All the, the basic frontline questions that we get from customers as well as basic troubleshooting of issues happen there. Um, then we also have more advanced centers, which is our basically our level three centers um, in in uh, key locations that are in you know, Sunnyvale and here. I'm actually based out of Westford, Massachusetts, uh, Juniper's office out in the East Coast. I shifted out here a few years ago, but we have offices there. We have them in region in Maya as well as in, in various locations around APAC. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the customers want local, local closer pre presence um, uh, so that they can work with somebody who, is, who knows the, the, the region and the local customs in some cases. Right, so very, very common model, right? A very common tiered uh, distributed uh, follow the sun model. Got it. And do you have other things like uh, a customer care or uh, customer success teams? We, we do. That's a good question. So that, that uh, you know, obviously the customers, when they call us, it's not always about a technical problem, right? So a lot of situations they're having trouble maybe registering or, or logging into the website and they lost a password, so they need help there. And that, that would come to our customer care team. Uh, which is also uh, a bit of a follow the sun model there, but that's that's a non-technical. There's a lot of actually a lot of work that they do that's very important for our customers. A lot of it's about cleaning up account data uh, and other things like that. So we have a customer care team as well. We are starting a customer success model. I think you know we're not unique in that. I think customer success has been a, an interesting buzzword for a long time um, in our in our world uh, because customer success was born in in the in the SaaS space, right? It's really about software and SaaS. Uh, it was. It started more recently in in kind of our industry. Um, if you think about hardware and customer success, initially those two things didn't go together, but that has evolved. So indeed, we are. We do have a customer success group that has started up fairly recently, and they're in the building phase of of their of what they're doing. And uh, there's and a lot of it's uh, in partnership with my team to build some technology to enable what they do. So certainly, we have customer success. Juniper also has what we call advanced services. This is essentially premium offerings, right? So a lot of these customers, especially if you think about the larger customers where the network is just absolutely critical to their success, uh, we offer uh, services just such as resident engineers, which is an on-site resource that uh, will give the customer uh, kind of the, that white glove treatment they expect um, and uh, essentially be an extension of their own IT team. 
We also have uh, what we call focal, customer focal technical support, which is a essentially a named account, uh, named engineer for per account, and sometimes it's a team of engineers that work with uh, across an account or a couple of accounts, and that's that's it's similar to Arari except it's not it's not local, but they do have a have a really strong understanding of the customers. Uh, needs their network, their processes, and their people, so that, that when a customer calls in and talks to those engineers, uh, they're you know we're not starting off from the beginning. We we know a lot about them, and we can just go right into problem resolution mode, right? So customers that that buy that service tend to really like that, and we have other services similar to that, but those are the the key ones. Got it. And how many people across this entire sort of support organization? Just a rough. Yeah. So Juniper in total is roughly uh, 9,500 people. Uh, services is about uh, roughly 1,200 people of, of that. And this includes the, the tier one support in, uh, in India and in South America that you talked about? Uh, that, that would actually not count, count on that. That's more of an outsourced organization. So we don't count that in the, in the total. That probably would bring another 500, 600 people to the count. Wow. Got it. Yeah. Got it. It's a big organization, um, but we also are a better. If you look at our, our numbers and you look at the at the uh, at the quarterly reports on our numbers, we're roughly a third of the company's revenue in the services organization. Wow, that's that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, and you talked about uh, the tier one taking up. Uh, I heard eighty percent of the the caseload. Is that that's right? So, eighty percent of all incoming cases are closed at tier one. Roughly, yeah. And it, it ebbs and flows, obviously, but yeah, that's r roughly the correct. And, and it's you know r roughly eighty percent because you know what happens is a lot of customers um, just need help uh, because they're new, right? A lot of new issues, uh, and and most customers start at tier one, and our tier one has gotten very strong. There's a lot of uh, um, tenure there, and you know we're, we've been lucky that we have a lot of uh, good people working in, in those organizations for us, and they've done a lot of good work, and they've learned a lot, um, and they stuck around for a long time. So we have a, a very good close rate at those. Uh, front lines. Well, let me tell you this based on my experience and talking to to folks in your position that 80% is, is an extremely high number to be closed at tier one. Uh, yep. So you guys are doing something clearly interesting there. Yeah. Um, and uh, another thing that you talked about was customer care. If I have a password reset sort of question now, sure. uh, as a customer, how do I know that I need to talk to customer care versus uh, a JTAC in, in India, for example? That's a very good question. Uh, we, you know, so we don't, we're, you know, the reason I'm dancing around this is we're trying to change the way customers <laughs> categorize these things, right? Because it's a complicated thing when a customer comes in the front door with an issue, getting the right categorization of that issue to get it to the right person uh, at the first route is always a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and so today we do something very lightweight. We, we ask the customer at the front door, is this a technical issue or an administrative issue? Um, and I'm not, maybe not maybe not using the exact right words. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you know we over time our customers have gotten better at picking the right one. But the problem is we make them pick it in the first place, right? So that's something that we're looking at is how do we evolve that so that we ask the right questions about the problem they're having and route the case accordingly without without having them forcing them to think too much. Right? Make it really easy on the customer. But, but today we, we force them to think a little bit and, and give us an answer to a question I think is not, not the right question. I see. I, I like the, the way this is going because uh, uh, categorizing sometimes, is it an administrative thing if a password reset or could it be construed as a technical thing? Exactly. Uh, so I, 
I applaud that uh, that not letting your customers think. <laughs> not, not for they're they're you know because they're in a panic mode often, right? Um, and maybe not when when they lose lost their password, but if they're calling us with a technical problem, it's not because they want to; it's because they have to. And and a lot of times it's in a in a situation that in their mind is high priority. We want to make it as easy and as quick as possible to get in the front door and talk right away, get to the right engineer to talk to them. And that's that's a challenge a lot of organizations are going through. It's not an easy problem to solve, especially when you think about the complexity of the types of problems you would have in, in a in a large network. That's right. But but um, there are there are techniques and, and technologies that you can use to solve them, and uh, we are evolving into those and slowly more working towards them. Got it. So on that note of technologies, let's talk about your, uh, the tool stack, the support technology tool stack. So could you sure. talk about like what contact centers do you use, case management, search, portals? Sure. And Absolutely. We are actually in the, in the process of, of transforming. We, we recently uh, uh, signed a deal with Salesforce and we were using their service cloud technology and we're in the process of turning that on. Um, and up until now, however, we, we've have a, a, if you look, go to Juniper's, myjuniper.net page, you'll see a, a custom built technology that we built uh, sitting on top of a Hadoop environment. Uh, and it's served us well for a few years, but we, we've realized that the, the, the suite of capabilities you can buy off the shelf uh, from a lot of vendors today are, are top notch. There are very, a lot of very good vendors. We, we evaluated something like six or seven of them. And, and we just came to the conclusion that the Salesforce solution was the best fit for us. Um, so we are moving into the service cloud and, and they call it in the customer portal side, they call that the community cloud. Um, we're, we're working with them and, and, and uh, uh, to, to evolve to that technology in the next few months. Got it. And anything in particular that stood out about service cloud that uh, I heard you say that you evaluated six to seven uh, right. vendors. I, you know, they're, they're, they are the, the, the big play, biggest player in, in this space. Uh, they, they call the customer engagement center space uh, and for a good reason. And uh, they, they, are, they have the most complete vision. Uh, they have an extensive marketplace of capabilities that you can bolt on top of uh, their, their base capabilities. Uh, and, and they really understand uh, that machine learning and AI needs to be part of this journey. Now, a, a lot of the vendors are starting to do that. Um, they, they appear to be a little further along than the rest of them. Uh, but you know, they also understand that that journey has to accelerate and continue, uh, to get where it needs to be. So I, I think their, their vision and they're just a suite of capability. And of course they have, they have a lot of resources, the, uh, both in the company as well as in system integrators around the world that, that know this stuff. It's become a very large, uh, ecosystem of, of people that can help enable us. Yeah, Service Cloud makes $4 billion in a year based yeah. on customers yeah. like yourself. <laughs> That's right. And they, they just had their, their, their uh, big trade show, you know, a couple of weeks back in, in, in San Francisco, as you may have heard. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, didn't, I unfortunately could not go this year. I, I've gone in the past and it's just become a massive, a very big event, right? And, and, uh, and that, that tells you that they're, they're becoming a very big company and there's a lot of people that are learning how to how to support and build this this solution so it just felt like the right platform as well as um they had all the right components for us got it and do you use anything for search uh, inside your support portal or is, or is it native salesforce search uh so salesforce is again we're, we're not lit up on salesforce yet that's coming we're working on it um the but the the, the search uh, we're using is Kaveo, and we're going to continue to leverage Kaveo. Uh, we believe Kaveo has a stronger search uh, capability than uh, Salesforce has natively. Uh, and uh, there's a lot of capabilities there to do unified and federated searches. 
uh, and uh, we felt that it's it's continues to be the right platform for us. Got it. And is there any sort of mobile app angle to this moving in your digital transformation and, and support? Not yet, but you know that's that's a, certainly an area we want to head into, right? We think they're we think our customers are ready for a mobile app uh, into the support experience, right? So we. You know, we, we, I, I don't think any one of us that works in this industry is an eight by five person anymore. Any longer. <laughs> I, think, I think we all work 24 seven, it feels like at least, um, at least for certain situations, right? So I think, and, I, and we, we believe customers have faced the same challenge. Uh, to, and so we wanna make it easy for them to, to get updates on cases or, or feedback to us, uh, updates from their end, um, wherever they are, right? You know, I, I know that when I'm in line at the grocery store picking up milk and bread for my wife, I'm looking at my phone and checking work. Um, and certainly we wanna make it that easy for our customers. And we believe a mobile app uh, will enhance that experience over the standard email cha in, and chat type channels. Got it. So we're and looking at that for the future. Yep. Got it. And, and you talked briefly about uh, machine learning and AI. Could you talk a little bit more about how and how is this relevant in support and how uh, are you guys planning to use this or is it on a, on a longer horizon? We we actually are looking at it right now. We're we're uh, in in the process of uh, of evaluating. There's a lot of technologies out there. We're evaluating the different technologies and different options out there. Obviously, there's a lot of open source things we can leverage as well. We are building a small. We started building a small data science uh, practice. There absolutely is an application to the support. Um, and in fact, there are a lot of applications. So the way I look at machine learning is that it is a tool to supercharge experiences and processes, right? So an example that we used earlier, uh, when, a, when a case comes in the front door, a customer describes a problem they're having, uh, a machine learning can, can read into that and, and, and potentially categorize that for us, right? We can, we can understand sentiment, we can understand uh, problem areas, we can understand you know, different technology um, components that may be in play with the problem. And we can use that to categorize and then connect back that case to a, an engineer that maybe understands those problem areas and those technologies so that we're not bouncing the customer around between people until we find the right one, right? So that's one use case. But I think, I think machine learning can be used across many use cases. We can apply it to many, many things. Um, and, and again, like I said before, supercharge those experiences and those processes in a way that we haven't before. So that's, that to me is a very exciting opportunity and, and we're looking into that very, very, very deeply right now. And is there something, this is kind of fascinating because what you're saying is if when a person is, is typing the case or describing the case, it gets categorized automatically, it gets routed to the right person automatically. Is there something like that exists today? There are there are some technologies that do some of this at some level, right? Um, there, are, and this is often you know this this automatic routing has been around for for a long time. It's really the categorization, it's figuring out what what are the important pieces of information in that in that description that enables that routing, right? Mm -hmm. Skills based routing is not new, right? It's figuring out what the challenge is, figuring out what are what skills are we talking about, right? So you can start very light, you know, a skill could really just be, I, I need an engineer who knows product A and, and maybe, you know, uh, they're in the United States. Maybe those are the two skills, you know, but when you get down to it, really what you want to understand is the next layer of skills. You know, you want to know that this is VPN. You want to know that it's this version of software. You want to know that the problem is with a, a an endpoint that is a different product 
And so you want to be able to put all those things together and pull all that out of the customer's description and use a machine learning to then find an engineer maybe who has done that before, right? And it's, it gets right. tricky and obviously um, there are, machine learning is never perfect. There's always uh, error, le levels of error you have to deal with and figure out to figure out um, whether or not it's reliable enough to use. So, you know, not, it, it doesn't apply right away. Sometimes you have to train it for, for a few months or even years to get it right. Understood. Yeah, the, the, as you say, that skills-based routing, uh, I think I've heard of that. But my understanding that was it was pretty static, right? You have to configure yeah. person A is doing that. But what you eventually want is this like your twelve hundred people in support today or five hundred right. in customer care or in, in tech in yeah. India. And uh, even better, you actually want to want to take the machine learning uh, and apply it to known knowledge first, right? Obviously we, we wanna our number one goal is to deflect cases. We don't wanna necessarily take cases if we have if we don't have to, right? So we want to use machine learning to to potentially find known issues, known issues and known solutions, right? so the customer can self-serve. That's really the goal. It's it's not necessarily finding the right agent, although when you do have to find an agent, you <laughs> want to find the right agent. <laughs> but you want to start with a, a deflection strategy, and that's where we are uh, focusing our most of our time right now. Let's talk about deflection a little bit more. So, what do you think are more realistic deflection technologies for uh, for a case like yours, where the the incoming case is quite complex, or could be complex, or could be a I need my password reset. Uh, it's a good question. So we we actually you know so we have a lot of some technologies today, right? And obviously obviously this requires customer effort uh, in the current state, right? So if a customer wants to self serve, they can go to our knowledge base and they can search. If they want to uh, search Google, they can search Google. If they you know, want to go on, we have a, a forum where uh, our customers participate and some of our partners participate. They can go there and ask a question. So they can, we can deflect in those channels, but all of those channels requires the customer to do something, requires effort, requires them to put time into doing some work to find the answer. Um, you know, we want to create that single pane of glass, uh, simplistic experience. So we want to have a one place where a customer can go in and say, here's my problem. Um, I'm having, and we want to be able to use machine learning to decipher that problem. And it's not just a search because you can't, you can't just search on a, on a description. Search is usually a few keywords, uh, maybe a little more sophisticated than that, but that, that's really what search is. Machine learning takes the entire description and the sentiment around it and puts that together in a way, you know, ultimately the goal would be to put that together in a way that it can then find related knowledge and, and known issues and, and, you know, known solutions, right? So we really want to be able to take that to the next level and, and deflect cases through the the normal cha case creation channel. That's interesting. And do you foresee this happening in a in a support portal, or do you think that should happen like in, in the product itself? You know, that's that's uh, that's something that I've been debating for a long time. Obviously, you know, we what I can control in my world is a support portal, right? And I think a lot of support professionals struggle with some of this as, as well as I do. And that is how much can I influence the product development and, and direction? Uh, and over time, I think we can, I think we can put, push that into the product experience, you know, the help menu, if you will. Um, and it's certainly, a, a, if, if you are in a, in a company where the product is grown up from the cloud, it's a cloud-based product, a SaaS-based product, that's fairly easy to do. But when it's an on-prem piece of hardware, it's a little trickier, right? So I, you know, I, 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 the ideal goal would be that first, the first place the customer is, touches when they're working on a problem, and in a lot of cases, the, the, the user interface, that's where you want to push the solution. 
Interesting. Interesting. Very, right. That very, you know, cause they don't, so you don't want them to have to go from there to the support portal. You, you want to get them in the early, in the first touch, right. And that first touch is often they're in the, they're in the product user experience. Uh, and, uh, in, in those cases, if you can control that and you can, and you can have a, a interface into that, um, that machine learning and, and knowledge, uh, um, kind of experience, that's where you want to do it. Cause then you're going to have a best customer experience that way. Customer doesn't have to go to multiple places. Short of that, obviously, um, I, the the support portal will be the next best place, in my opinion. Got it, got it. And uh, we talked a, a little bit about chatbots earlier. What do you think about chatbots in enterprise? You know, my guests have had uh, different sort of notions on a chatbots in an enterprise, right. and the enterprise situation is different because, as you were saying earlier, the question right. would be complex. So, um, any thoughts on that? I do. So it's, it's my, and my feelings have, have evolved, right? So one of the insights I, I always tell people is, you know, is to continue, continually challenge your, your, and recheck your assumptions, right? So, uh, you know, years ago, I would have said chat, uh, that's nothing, and that's just a consumer thing. Um, that's, that's my kids chatting with their friends, you know, that, that, there's no value in the business world. That is changing. And, and what I see changing that based on the research I have done is, Actually, the you know the younger generations are coming up and working in the industry. Um, the consumer experience that, that people have as as in their personal consumer life with technology and their mobile phones has made chat more and more accepted. Um, in fact, if you look at a lot of the research and a lot of the top channels, if you will, you know, kind of there's a lot of rankings and people have have studied this. And what are the top channels? Chatbot has come up up in that in the ranking over the last few years. So customers are becoming more and more familiar and comfortable with, with chatting with the computer to get answers. You know, how comfortable have we become talking to the Alexas and the OK Googles of the world? Right, very comfortable, I think. And and so that's that's leaking into the into the B two B industry, and we're seeing a lot more enterprise customers being open to that. So we are we are also working on a chatbot. We think it'll deflect a significant amount of cases. Right. So the chatbot obviously is not about live chat. It's about interfacing with other systems to provide customers information. So for example, give me an update on case X and we have an API connecting back to the case system and we'll spit back an update with a link back to the case if they want to go get more. That sort of a thing so that they have one simple interface to get a lot of things done quickly. I think it's actually a, an ingenious way of solving a self-service problem. Got it. And this chatbot is going to be on the support portal, I'm assuming? That's right. That's right. It'll be essentially your, you know, the, the Juniper assistant click here to chat with, uh, with, with our chatbot and get an answer to a question. I see. And the kind of answers that you're looking for, are they more transactional in nature, like the one that you talked about? Or is it going to be, I need to reset my password, give me an answer, or my router is not forwarding traffic? Like what's, what sort of questions it, do you expect? It, well, we're starting off with, um, you know, so a lot of the, the low-hanging fruit we see is, is in the transactional things, right? So uh, reset your password. Actually, we have a, a tool that customers can use, but a lot of them still, a lot of customers still want to just talk to somebody, <laughs> right? And and talking to to a chat bot is actually similar to talking to a human, and we believe customers will use it, right? So, so resetting passwords is one, and you know we getting an update in cases on RMAs. Uh, they can get a, a um, they can get uh, some of their 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 welcome letters resent, which is a letter that we send when when they buy a subscription product of some sort. Sometimes that goes into a you know a, a junk folder or something like that, and they want they want it resent. So we can do that through the chatbot. So there are a, a lot of things transactionally that we're looking to do, and and uh, we'll be doing in the next few few weeks. Um, actually, Q1 is when we're going to go live. 
uh, where we will allow customers just to, the basic things that they call customer care for, they can do with a chatbot as well. And then, and then if that doesn't do it, they can talk live to, to an agent. Got it. And could you talk about what chatbot technology you're using and like what product that you're using? Salesforce uh, uh, Service Cloud includes a chatbot in their solution. We're using their, their product. Oh, the Einstein chatbot or something. That's right. That's right. Yes. Got it. Um, and could you talk about uh, the, the tickets that you're receiving? What are the different channels that you're receiving on and what is the percentage? Like email, web, phone? Social media. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, so we're actually still a little bit in the stone age as we're, and this is one of the things that we're, we're looking to evolve. Obviously, chatbot will be a new channel, uh, as I mentioned, but uh, majority of our, our cases are opened over the web. We have a web portal uh, and customers go there and they open up their case. And, and, and we, we always tell customers that's the best way because what will happen from that is it'll get routed to the best possible team. Uh, we don't route to a person yet. We route to an, or, or we call a responsible group and that group will assign the case to somebody in their team. And, and, and that, that also lets us get all the information. We, we know what product it is, we know what release it is, uh, we know uh, we have a description from the customer and, and if, uh, if they've done any work on their own, they've provided maybe some, some more data uh, along with that. So we always ask customers to do that and we actually have pretty good success. We're about seven, between 70 and 75% of newly created cases for the technical assistance center is open through the web channel. Right? So that's, that's, I think, very good. Uh, however, you know, the follow-on processes are, are fairly manual in nature, right? So there's a lot more uh, telephone calls that happen post-case creation than that, right? So we're often on the phone afterwards to, to troubleshoot a little further, I get clarification, whatever it might be, obviously, the, the whole troubleshooting process that we're all comfortable with happens often over the phone. Not always. We actually we'll also often work with a customer through uh, sort of an email web portal channel. Um, uh, that we, we leverage as well. Got it. So, yeah. And uh, so the rest, like 25% uh, incoming cases are through email, phone, uh, I would assume. Yeah, we actually don't take cases through email um, only because it's unstructured. So it's either through phone or through the web today. I see. You're actually one of, uh, you're my second guest who has completely turned off email-based case creation and primary for the reason that you're talking about. Yeah, and that, it's it's that reason, but it's also, you know, the, the lack of structure to it is one reason. The other one is, it's tough to authenticate customers, right? So we we are we're not a for, a free service. We you know we do sell our services because we we offer premium capabilities. So it's hard hard to authenticate customers. It's also some security risk when using uh, email to do these sorts of things. So it's. Yeah, it just doesn't doesn't give you all the biggest issue is you don't you just don't get enough information. It's not structured well enough and you start, you know, you're not, not starting at a good place when you allow email to be the, the source. Got it. And is there a possibility for the customers to open the case from within the product itself? I, I know you talked about Juniper has hardware products. I don't know how much you have SaaS versus hardware. We, we have some of that in some of our products. We have, we have a, a fairly large portfolio, as you may know. Um, recently, Juniper purchased a company called Mist Wireless. I don't know if you're aware of them, but they, they are a cloud. Uh, they are in the cloud. They're a wireless company with physical APs that talk to the cloud and it's cloud enabled. Uh, so they're, they're one example where the product experience, which is essentially the management portal for their for their APs, is also the portal into the support experience, and that's something we're we're, we're looking deeply into for a larger portion of our products. But but generally, um, we don't have very many products that have that sort of support built into the user experience yet. Got it. 
and, and we just do see the value of that for sure. Got it. And Adam, I don't think we talked about this earlier, but uh, could you talk a little bit more about what your team does? Like, what are you responsible for within this whole uh, the oh. ecosystem within Juniper? Oh, sure. My, my, my current reinvention of myself is I, I lead a team called the Digital Experience and Automation Team. We're part of the Global Services Organization, which is, and we talk about service and support, that is what we call global services. And um, what we do as, as part of the Digital Experience and Automation Team is we're essentially in operations, right? So if you think about um, the, the ecosystem of, of the Juniper support organization that I mentioned earlier, we are, we enable that through technology. So, you know, we're, our, our, our prime customer are the, is the support team, right? Um, and we enable them through, you know, for example, the Salesforce project that we're working on, uh, chatbot, all these things. So we work with them and understand where they want to go, what their goals are. Case deflection is a major goal of theirs. And so we're here to enable them and figure out what the right technology stack and direction is to make that happen. So we, we get to do, we get to play with all the toys and make everything happen. <laughs> um, you know, it's a lot of work, but we, but, uh, we have a, a team that enjoys that sort of challenge. It goes well with your tinkering hobby, I would suppose. It does. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my, and my OCD nature, lots of things to do. Never bored. <laughs> How big is your team, uh, Adam? That that's so I, it's, it's not a very large team. So we we uh, I have directly in my team. I have twelve people today, and and uh, it's primarily made up of business uh, process architects, uh, automation architects, which are people that are a little more technical in nature, uh, and I have some user experience professionals. Uh, I, but I partner heavily with a lot of other teams. Obviously, I, Juniper's IT organization is a big partner of mine because they help make a lot of things happen from a systems perspective. We also uh, leverage system integrators and, and technology vendors for a lot of what we do. And we also have a small team of, uh, of developers um, in a different department that uh, under services that uh, is a close partner of ours that have done a lot of uh, automation work. So it's not a very big team, uh, but our, our, our strategy is is buy before build, right? We believe that there is a lot of uh, great technology in the marketplace. Um, I think a lot of the, like Salesforce, for example, a lot of these vendors have have paid good attention to where the industry is going, um, uh, and and we we've been working closely with a lot of them to to make our vision a reality. So we we partner heavily with a lot of groups. Got it. And what are your biggest priorities for the next year? We heard about you know, this big transformation change in, in service cloud and the chatbots. Is there anything else uh, beyond that? Uh, the, the other thing is um, IoT, right? So one of the, 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 the trends in the industry uh, is, and, and this is another shift that I've noticed over the last couple, three years, is you know we you know that, that that box you get when you that pops up when you first install a new operating system. Do you want to participate in our um, improvement program? And what that really means is, are you okay, okay if, we, if we send back some telemetry from our operating system back to our cloud? Um, that's something that doesn't happen naturally in a hardware world. Uh, and, that, and that's an area that we are, we are innovating in and trying to understand how we can, how we can pull that, 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 some of that telemetry back from our customers' environments so that we can create a much more proactive and predictive experience, right? Um, it's great to create more efficiency. It's great to have self-service. But really the next layer of that is prevention. We really want to prevent customers from having issues. So we can, so the, in order to do that, you have to have real-time insights into how they're using the product to help them prevent. We need to know how they're using the product so we can detect problems or we can 
map known issues to their use cases and and give them warning signs and signals that that they're they may experience a problem here's a preventative action that's that's a couple three years down the road but um we're working feverishly to figure out some of those underlying components and to make that happen got it it used to be called like phone home or call home yeah these that, that's that's right it used to be like a phone home or call home kind of thing and i think iot is is taken over i think the terminology of internet of things has taken over and it, in a way it works well because you know it, it, these are things right and network things but you know they're much bigger more complex things than you than a than a smart thermostat or a, or a, a doorbell or something like that right uh, but the principles are the same right we we want to knowing how the customer is using our product knowing how they're adopting it understanding how 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 the devices are running you know from a health perspective will allow us to make them more customers more successful it is actually a key component to customer success you need to understand at a much more granular level your, how your customers are doing with the product in order to be to make them successful if you don't have that then then you're not going to get very far got it that makes sense and Adam, on the related note, are there any related metrics uh, around these things that you're talking about that you think are most relevant to you and your organization? Uh, that's yeah. There, there are plenty of metrics. Um, we 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 look at a lot of different key, uh, key performance indicators, uh, both that are kind of leading and lagging. Um, customer success, uh, as an example, uh, tends to look at things like, um, you know, customer adoption. Uh, as well as churn rates, right? So that's 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 certainly an area we're looking at. Of course, you know, one of the other areas we we always try to attack is this what we call mean time to resolution, right? So we um, a challenge that I always that I've always you know I've always told people in the past, and it still holds very much true. It's sometimes we get in our uh, we get on our own way, right? Because at the end of the day, it all, it all comes down to having the right data. If I have the right data from the right time from the right device, I can usually solve the problem pretty quickly you know, with, with, with few exception. So, you know, that, that, that gathering of data project will actually impact the mean time to resolution significantly. We've squeezed it pretty down pretty well. We have a pretty good resolution rate today, especially our first day resolution rate, but it's that long tail. It's that harder problem. It's that, that the 10, 20, 30% of cases that take longer than a day because it's all about getting the data and it's hard to get the data or the customer hasn't gotten around to it. We can take that off their plate and get the data automatically. That problem gets solved, and we can squeeze that meantime the resolution. So MTTR is is probably our number one target because it encompasses and embodies so many different things. Um, so that's that's huge. Uh, obviously, we we also look at at things like efficiency. You know, we really want to make it easier not only for the customer, but but for the for the support expert, right? Um, you know, they, they have to deal with a lot of manual effort processes today, and we really want to squeeze that down and make that a lot easier for them. You know, I, as when I was a JTAC manager, uh, which I was for many years, um, JTAC, by the way, is Juniper Technical Assistance Center. That's our special terminology. When I was a, uh, an, a manager uh, for, for many years, one of the things I always tried to figure out was, how do I get my engineers to do, to work on only the new stuff? We shouldn't be repeating the same problem solving. We shouldn't solve the same problem more than once, All right? So we try to implement things like, well, we should always be a knowledge base created or edited after you've done the case. And there are a lot of these things that you know that 
they sound good on paper, but they're really hard to execute on, <laughs> especially when you're being squeezed for, all right, you get only X amount of resources. So, you know, it's not like I have to give, you know, I have to grow the number of cases per engineer sometimes. And there's always these backward, back, backward pressures about efficiency, right? So, you know, how you solve that is using technology to take cases that are unnecessary off the plate and, and allow those engineers to focus on only the new and interesting things. So, you know, it's a balance, but uh, with technology, I think we, we can solve some of that. And uh, on that note, could you share some of the other best practices or innovations that you have followed and support yourself? Um, any, any kind of tips? Let's see. Uh, so outside of, uh, of those things, I think the, the only other area that I, I always found interesting and I, I always gave tips on was around how um, you, you work with, so part, partnerships to me has always been a key thing, right? So I talked about it earlier. We always partner very closely. I've always been a partner of a lot of different organizations for whatever reason. And I, I found that they can work very, very well. So a lot of us have, have outsourced partners that do frontline support for us. One of the tips that I always found very useful, um, it, was, it has always been make sure you treat them as one of your own. Right. If you treat that team as one of your own, you get the most out of them. Right. And that's something that um, a lot of people don't grasp. Right. And they, they kind of that's that's a different team. That's not part of my group. But if you make them part of your, you know, your team meetings, you make them feel like you're part of their part of the team. They will exceed your expectations usually. Right. So that's probably uh, one the one piece of advice I always tell tell support leaders um, that are especially new support leaders is don't don't minimize those partnerships. Make them part of your team. Got it. And up until the point where HR will yell at you. <laughs> so that can happen if you're not careful. So it's interesting you mentioned this because you're also leading this transformation of support thing uh, within Juniper. Now, how much of this is actually visible to this outsourced tier one support? So everything that we build for our own eng uh, agents will be for will be used by them. So we 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 treat our what we call primary tack or level one tack like we would treat any other tack from a tools and process perspective. They have access to the same tools. They have access to the same capabilities. They have access to the same documentation, right? Um, and and uh, you know, I think that's been one of the keys to our success. You know, we don't treat them as a separate organization and and put them in their own little corner. And their own little tool set. They 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 work in the same ecosystem, and that allows them to to collaborate very closely with the advanced engineers and learn very quickly, um, and allows us to to monitor their success and, and and their 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 metrics as well very closely. So it's been a successful thing. So anything we can, we're going to build for the for the organization will will apply to up and down the the tiers. Uh, do you think is Juniper sort of unique in there, or do you think most of your colleagues do the same thing? I think most of them are doing the same thing. I think there are exceptions, um, uh, so I don't think we're very unique there. Um, but uh, to be honest, I have not researched that very heavily. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, Adam, with this, we have come to this end of podcast. Very interesting uh, tips that you shared today. Uh, but before we let you go, are there any interesting resources uh, for our audience? Uh, maybe your business books or podcasts that you would recommend. Uh, for our audience. Yeah, so I, as I thought about this in preparation for talking to you, I, um, I realized that I don't have a favorite business book. I actually refer back to a number of them because I, you know, one of my early mentors once told me, uh, you're, you're gonna go to, you know, all kinds of business trainings and, <laughs> and, and seminars, you can read many, many books. 
And really, you're only going to take about five to ten percent out of each of those resources, right? And you're going to that that are going to stick with you, and you're going to go, "Wow, I, that was powerful. I I, I love that." So I actually look at uh, there are a few books that I've always I've always go back to. Um, uh, one of the ones that's more recent uh, I, that I that because of this trend in the customer success is actually the customer success book that uh, Nick Mehta wrote. Uh, I think that one has a lot of good practical nuggets in it. Um, uh, Start with Why by Simon Sinek is a good one. Uh, I, I've got a few, there's a few good nuggets in there. Um, there's one that I read recently called uh, Look at More uh, by, by Stefanovic, which is uh, about you know when you're looking at a problem or or in a business opportunity, you know there's looking around it and the different angles of it really will give you a bigger perspective uh, of of whether or not it's valuable and worth pursuing. So you know, I, I, what I tell people is just keep reading, keep, keep up to date, look, look at new things because you're going to find something in everything. Right. And those are always, you know, I, it's, I don't have a favorite book. <laughs> of course, my favorite podcast is now this one. Right. So it's, that's, that's obvious. I hope. Awesome. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for your time today. It was, it was really great connecting with you again and, and the tips you shared around support transformation today. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a great discussion.